Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. Unfathomable grace, unending grace, amazing grace, all-sufficient grace from our Savior, Jesus. Amen. We've been looking at the book of Colossians. We um, are using Colossians 3.12 as our launching pad right now. Paul says to put on these Christian virtues last week, put on... Uh, hearts of compassion. Uh, this week, um, Paul says uh, to put on kindness. And I've been trying to think through where we discover kindness in the life of Christ and how we can understand kindness by looking at the life of Christ. Um, however, there are some, and I think they should rightly be considered as cynics, uh, whether atheist or professing to be followers of Christ, there are some who have said, well, Jesus wasn't always kind, that there were times when he was unkind. I mean, do you think that maybe Jesus had a bad day every now and then, sort of woke up grumpy? You never woke up grumpy, but maybe Jesus did. Maybe he, he woke up and, and uh, you know, he was just sort of out of sorts, and whenever he, he talked to somebody, he just sort of mumbled at them. You've never done that, but maybe Jesus did. You know, maybe, maybe he had a bad day where everything he said came out wrong. Or maybe he was just a little tired and he got a little short-tempered. And maybe he just said some things to people and put them in their place. And at the end of the day, thought, well, you know, that was, that was a little unkind. I shouldn't have done that. You know, maybe Jesus just had a bad day every now and then. Here's how important that question is. If Jesus ever had a bad day, we're lost for all eternity. If Jesus ever had a bad day, for example, if Jesus had ever said to anybody, uh, you know, an unkind word, the death he died on the cross, he would deserve. And he could not die for our sins, and we would be lost for all eternity. So this question of did, did Jesus ever have a bad day, was Jesus ever unkind to anybody, actually goes to, to the very heart of our relationship with the Father through the Son. If Jesus did have bad days and was unkind, we are lost. Now, I bring that up because as I was thinking about kindness, uh, my thoughts went to this passage of Scripture, sometimes the, called the, the account of the Syrophoenician woman, sometimes she's called the Canaanite woman. And uh, uh, I, I, I thought about it because uh, there are those somewhat cynical folks who, who would say, well, look how Jesus treated her. I mean, he just treated her shamelessly. And here, here's how it goes. By the way, for those of you listening by television and radio, <laughs> what I'm about to say I do not adhere to. This is by way of illustration what folks will say. But the story goes that Jesus retreated to uh, the, the, the region of, of Sidon and Tyre. Um, this, this is an, an area outside of Israel. It's a pagan area. Uh, it's not a Jewish area, and so the culture and the city and the practices, everything would be dominated by, by non-Jewish, Gentile if you will, but pagan uh, sorts of belief and practices. And so Jesus went there, sort of retreating from, from everybody, trying to get away from it all. 
And along comes this woman, a Canaanite woman, uh, Matthew calls her, and uh, she comes to Jesus crying and she says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My, my daughter is severely uh, uh, distressed and oppressed by, by a demon. And so she comes asking for Jesus to show mercy and compassion. And the scripture says, Jesus said not a word. Talk about an old grumpy face. Jesus said not a word. Of course, I'm encouraged by that because there are times when I'm a grumpy face. One happened 13 years ago. <laughs> and Debbie missed it, she says. But, uh, yeah. But Jesus was just sort of grumpy, and so he didn't say anything to her. And so she starts telling the disciples, you know, can't, can't you do something for me? I, I know you work miracles, and can't you do something for me? And the disciples go to Jesus and say, get rid of that woman. Because after all, they're male chauvinists, and, and uh, we, 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 we just know that. And so get rid of that woman. And Jesus says, I have come only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. See, Jesus said, to this Gentile woman, no miracle for you. <laughs> you get that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. No miracle for you. And so uh, uh, this woman is just flabbergasted. You know, what, what's this? Jesus said, I don't deal with Gentiles. You know, no, no miracle for you. And, uh, you know, so the, the lady comes and she kneels in front of Jesus. She says, you know, have mercy on me. I mean, you gotta, you got to feel for this lady. I mean, her, her heart's really into this. And Jesus says to her, it is not right to give. Take the bread from the children and give it to the dogs. Aha! Jesus called her a dog. Jesus called her a dog. A lot of people think he called her a dog. Dog was a, was a derogatory term. It was a slur. I mean, it, it was about as big an insult as you could give to somebody who wasn't Jewish. You dog, I'm not going to feed you. Why would I feed you? I'm, I'm all about feeding the children. Why would I feed the dogs? You see, Jesus himself was imbued with the racism of his culture. And even though he tried to talk about the love of God, even he fell into the throes of racism. And how encouraging we find it to know that even Jesus had to struggle with this. I can't wait. That's balderdash, folks. <laughs> that, is, that is absolute balderdash. And I cannot believe anybody bearing, bearing the title pastor, Christian, teacher, philosopher, professor would actually come up with that. But that, that's what they're saying. Okay, back. Yeah. And so this woman, being wiser than Jesus, says, ah, but Jesus... Even the dogs eat from the crumbs under the table. I mean, this is great stuff. Not only is Jesus wrong, but the woman is right. You know, talk about feminist theology before there was feminist theology. I mean, this is really clicking now. A woman has to set Jesus straight. He's got these racial attitudes, and she says, Oh, but, you know, we, even, we get to eat the crumbs from the table. And Jesus steps back and says, I never thought of that. Are you telling me that the love of God is for the Gentiles? I didn't know that. Yes, it is, Jesus. Honest. 
The love of God is for the Gentiles. I didn't know that. I was so narrow in my thinking. I was so just bogged down in my racial attitudes that it was only for the Jews. Thank you, thank you, thank you for opening my eyes. I'm telling you folks, I just about wept when I read those things. Let's read the passage. And you will find here the kindness of Christ. The scripture says, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to a district of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus had no trouble with Gentiles. He had no problem with Gentiles at all. You remember the Roman centurion came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, my servant is sick. Can you heal my servant? Jesus says, yeah, yeah, let's, let's go heal your servant. And, and, the, and the centurion says, no, no, we don't have to go. I'm, a, I'm one under authority. I speak. People respond. All you need to do, Jesus, is speak a word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, guys, I don't find that kind of faith in Israel. He had no trouble with that. What's his last words in the Gospel of Matthew? Go ye therefore into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. I mean, his, his whole focus is on the lost of the world. So he has no trouble with Gentiles. It's not like, it's not like he's got this parochial attitude. But he had gone there to Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Now, uh, Matthew calls her a Canaanite woman. Uh, Mark refers to her as a Syrophoenician woman. Uh, Syrophoenicia just means Syria and Phoenicia, uh, and that tells us where she was from. So Syrophoenician tells us where she's from. Canaanite tells us who she is. For a thousand years, the Canaanites had been opposed to the people of Israel. For a thousand years, the adversary had worked through the Canaanites to tempt the people of God, the Israelites, out of a true religion, a true faith in God, and tempt them into the Baal worship, into the uh, adoption of idols, into this mania for being like the world and like other cultures around them. And so when Matthew says, a Canaanite woman, what he's signaling is, here comes a woman who has nothing to do with the true and living God, has nothing to do with God's people. She lives in, in, in a pagan land. She comes as a pagan. No doubt in her home city there were all kinds of gods. There was one God to make the crops grow. There was one God to, um, uh, to make your children behave. There was another God to make you wealthy. There was another God to heal you. And she heard about this God who was coming in, this guy Jesus, and she figures, well, I'll just add him to the list. I'll try him too. I mean, this is what's happening. She's, she comes to Jesus and she's asking for a miracle. So she's coming and she's crying, have mercy on me, O Lord. That's just the way you would say sir, but it, you know, it's just a general term at this point. It doesn't mean she's a, you know, become a Christian or anything like that. Just um, uh, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now that was a title that Jesus used to refer to himself as the Messiah. She must have heard that, son of David. And here's what she's thinking. Those are the magic words. Those are the magic words. If I go up and say, oh, Lord, have mercy on me, son of David. Gotcha, Jesus. I invoke son of David. You've got to work for me. That's the way it works with my other gods. That's the way it works when I go to my pagan temples. If I say the right words, they have to respond the way I want them to. Sort of like the way we treat prayer sometimes. If only I could get the right words and make God do what I want him to do. Uh, but that's the way she's coming. So what we have to understand is when this woman comes to Jesus, she's coming as someone 
who is not just suffering because of her child, but she's suffering because of the condition of her soul. She is so apart from the true and living God, it's not even funny. And she just accidentally runs into Jesus and says, well, I think I'll try it. Jesus, you know, have mercy upon me. And she explains the thing, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, you know that's got to break her heart. You know that's got to break her heart. You know, the man who had his son possessed by a demon, um, uh, we read about him after the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, look, this demon will take my son and he'll throw him into the fire and then he'll throw him into the water. He's not going to survive if we don't do something quick. I mean, there's an urgency there. There's a woundedness there. There's a hurt there. You know, it's, it's the way you love your children coming out here. And so she said, Jesus, my, my daughter is, is just possessed and, and oppressed, and, 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 and you've got to heal her. Son of David, son of David, son of David. Click the heels three times. Clap your hands. You've got to do it. So that's where we are now. Okay, you understand. He did not answer her a word. It was the kindest thing she could do. He could do for her. The kindest thing he could do for her was to refuse to respond to this human manipulation and religiosity and trying to make Jesus conform to her view and her expectations. I mean, suppose Jesus had just said, fine, daughter's healed, get out of here. She'd gone home and she would have gone back to her pagan temples and thanked the pagan gods for this and thanked the pagan gods for that. Oh, let's see, who was that guy? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. he was son, son, son of... Son, son, okay, but anyway, thank him too. And, and she would have been lost in her paganism. She would have been lost in her ignorance. She would still have been apart from the true and living God. The kindest thing Jesus did for her was to make her stop and think, was to make her stop and really think through where her life was. You know, people come to Christ for all kinds of reasons. People come to Christ out of desperation. A lot of people come to Christ for desperation. Maybe, maybe that's your, your, your story, that you hit a desperate spot in your life and things were falling apart and you were hurting and you were wounded. And, and out of desperation, you came to church because you thought, maybe that'll help. Maybe if, I, maybe if I go to church, something good will happen. And sure enough, it did. But you came out of desperation. Oh, the grace of God that he deals with us though we come to him out of selfish motives. Oh, the grace of God that he pours it out upon us even though we come confused, even though we come with wrong thoughts and misunderstandings, he comes to us in grace, though we come to him in desperation. So the kindest thing Jesus could do for her was to just not play her game. There are other passages in Scripture, the same thing happens. He was quiet. He was silent. She didn't know what to do with that. So she starts working on the disciples. You know, if, if the A squad's not available, go to the B team. His disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. Now, this is typical disciple, isn't it? Send them away. We don't know what to do with her. She wants us to heal her daughter. We, we have no idea what's going on here. Jesus, just send her away. Jesus, we have a crowd here, and they're hungry. We can't feed them. Send them away. Jesus, we have children here. We don't know what to do with them. We're not kid people. Send them away. Jesus never sent her away. He never sent her away. And here's what he says to his disciples. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, we, we, we've got to listen carefully to this. Jesus was not saying, there are a few lost sheep in the house of Israel, and I've got to save them. The rest are okay. 
He was not saying that there are a couple of folks in the house of Israel that need my attention, but the rest are okay. What he was saying is, this house of Israel is nothing but lost sheep. You think of the house of Israel, think of lost sheep. I was sent to save and to redeem and to bring back the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, that's just true historically. Jesus was sent to the Jews. When he was born, he was born and hailed as king of the Jews by the wise men who came. That's why Herod tried to kill him. But he was sent to the Jews. Now, God had been preparing the Jewish people, the house of Israel, for a thousand years. He'd been preparing them and giving them the law and giving them the sacrifices, giving them the temple worship, giving them the prophets, giving them the direction, the judgment, the correction, the reproof. He'd been working among them for a thousand years or better, molding them into his people. So when Messiah came and he started talking about the kingdom of God, nobody raised their hand and said, who's this God fellow you're talking about? And when he preached about the coming of the kingdom of God, they didn't raise their hand and say, what do you mean, promises? See, they already had a context. There was already an environment. God had prepared the garden that the gospel might be planted. And so Jesus was sent to the Jews. That's just historically true. He was sent to the Jews. Paul picks up on that. He says the gospel came to us. Well, I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, it says it's gospel of salvation to the Jew first and then to the Greek. You remember that, Romans. Right, so, so this is just the historical observation. Um, and so Jesus is saying that th this, this is where I am right now. But notice also what he says. He says, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house. The house. Now the question is, who's in the house? Who is in the house? Who has a right to say they're part of the household that God has been forming for himself? Jesus said it's made up of a bunch of lost sheep. He said, I was sent to the house of Israel. All right? Keep that in mind. Now, when he says that, he, you know, he's not saying, I, I hate Gentiles. If that's what he'd been saying, you and I'd be, most of us, I don't know your, your, your genealogies and your, and your family trees, but the vast majority of us in this room would be sunk. We would be sunk. As I was sent to the, the house of Israel, the, the woman hears this. What does the scripture say? You have it in front of you? Did, she did what? But she came and knelt before him. She came, knelt before him. Mark says she fell down at his feet. These are words of worship. These are words of adoration. Something's clicking in her mind. You know, Jesus said, I'm, I'm sent to the house of Israel because that's the true and the living God. That's, that's where we are directed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's where we need to be going. And I, I, I can just see this, this woman's mind working where she's saying, what? He, he's telling me that this isn't about another God to add to the list. This is about the only God. This isn't about another deity, another name to, to add to my Rolodex contacts list uh, of gods. You know, this isn't just another name. He's talking about one specific God, and it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that Jesus would call my Father, the God who shaped the universe and brought it into being, and the God who out of grace and mercy sent his Son to die in our place.
That's, that's who he's talking about. And she says, I'm starting to realize this. And she comes before Jesus. And it's no longer this hysterical woman saying, yeah, have mercy, you know, heal my child, heal my child, heal my child. She stops and she bows down before Jesus. Where she needed to be all along. Oh, the kindness of Jesus that he led her to kneel before him. She kneels before him and she says this, Lord, help me. Just help me. I'm not going to give you a, a list of what you have to do. I'm not, I'm not going to give you exactly the only way I will accept help anymore. I'm not going to give you the only way that you can satisfy the need of my heart anymore. Lord, just you help me. It's almost, it's almost as if all you need to do is stand in a corner by yourself, even ashamed to lift up your eyes to heaven and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's all it takes. That's all it takes. You want to talk about the kindness of Jesus? I mean, what could he have said to her? Woman, do you know how annoying you are? Do you have any idea how you have, how you have upset my schedule? Do you know you've, you've upset my disciples? It'll take me a month to bring them back down to earth. Thanks a lot. <laughs> she accept, he accepted her. Lord, just help me. That's all I need. Just help me. Now, the next line is one that, that everybody gets upset about. And he says to her, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Folks, that's just a proverb. She, he didn't call her a dog. I mean, just, any fairy, he didn't call her a dog. Debbie, uh, Debbie gave me permission to tell you this, but um, on her side of the family, um, <laughs> but her great-grandfather on her mother's side, if you knew her mother, this would explain a lot. No. Bless her soul. <laughs> I'll be available for lunch today. And dinner. Okay. And dinner. <laughs> but her great-grandfather owned greyhounds. Um, he'd fallen in love with gambling and betting on, on greyhounds, dog racing, and so he owned greyhounds, had a had a kennel full of them, and these dog, dogs were kept in very fine kennels, clean and, and immaculate and comfortable, and the, these dogs got the steak, and they got the, the good food, and they got the grooming, and they were cared for, and these dogs were some of the finest dogs, and meanwhile, the rest of the family lived in tatters. The children went hungry. I'm, this is not an exaggeration. You know, sometimes we exaggerate from the pulpit, but this is not an exaggeration. The children went hungry so the dogs could be fed. Now, if Debbie and I say to each other, it's not right to feed the dogs and let the kids go hungry, you know what we mean. You know what we mean. And that's all they're talking about. It's not right to take the resources that belong uh, to those who need to be nurtured and, and to give it to those who won't appreciate it. He's challenging her to think about this. Now, just the word dog, by the way, is not... You know, sometimes we use the word dog in a derogatory way, but let's face it, sometimes we don't. You know, uh, you lucky dog, you. Uh, you know, that kind of, you sly dog, you. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. 
Well, let a sleeping dog lie. Well, you're barking up the wrong tree. So anyway, Jesus says, it's not, it's not right. You know, we're talking about a household. Who's in the household? And in the household, it's not right to take food from the children and give it to the dogs. And this woman's mind is moving in a way that it never has before because suddenly she's realizing there's something to this Jesus guy. He's challenging me because what he wants me to understand is this. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Yes, Lord. I see what you're getting at now. But in most of these tables, in every table I know of, there's something to eat under the table for the dogs. Now, by the way, the word he uses there for dog is not the word dog. It's the word little dog. Um, you might translate it puppies. And uh, that, that, that would be okay. I'm not going to press the point. But he's talk, she's talking about household pets. She's not talking about these ravenous beasts who are roaming the neighborhoods, seeking what trouble they can get into and how they can devour the innocent creatures in, in your backyard. They're talking about the household pets. She says, but even the pets get fed somehow. Notice what she says. You got it in front of you. By their master. They're fed crumbs at their master's table. There's a relationship there. And suddenly she's realizing, I don't have to be a child born into the, into the household of Israel. There's a place for me. Now understand, put this into context. You remember when Jesus told the story about the rich man who lived in, in, in you know, just uh, sumptuous living and had a big spread of food on his table, and he was just, just, just really rich and... A poor man by the name of Lazarus would sit at his gate. And what did Lazarus say? He said, if only I could eat the crumbs from his table. If only I could have the crumbs. Now, the rest of that story goes on. Rich man winds up in hell. The poor, the, the poor man winds up in heaven. There's a least first, first, least uh, greatest, uh, first, last, all that stuff going on here. And, and, and the poor man, Lazarus, winds up in in heaven, and the rich man winds up in hell. And so uh, the whole point was that God doesn't see things exactly the way you see things. But, but the other part is the, the man said, if only I could share the crumbs. Do you know what a crumb off the table of God will do in your life? If you get just the smallest crumb of the grace of God, you will be satisfied for all eternity. When the smallest crumb falls off the table of our Lord, Kingdoms shudder, empires fall, the powerful are brought down, and the humiliated and the humble are brought up. With just the smallest crumb from our Lord's table, new strength is given to legs so weak they have never walked before. Just the crumb off the table of our Lord brings sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, speech to the mute. Those who experience just the least bit of the grace of God experience all of the grace of God. And the smallest crumb fills up the entirety of infinity. Oh, that I could eat the crumbs that fall beneath the table. Amen. And so she says, I think I'm getting it now. There's, there's something called grace, and it, it might look like crumbs to others, but it satisfies. It satisfies. 
You see what Jesus has done for her? She, she walked in as a self-preoccupied, um, focused on her own problems, believing in all kinds of gods, and now she's at the point, kneeling at the feet of Jesus, essentially saying, can I just have the crumbs from God's table? And Jesus does the kindest thing. He says, oh, woman, great is your faith. What did she do? She came confused. She came just out in left field. All she did was come and kneel at the feet of Jesus and ask to be fed. Great is your faith. Be it done for you, as you wish, as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly at that moment. See, as I read, I find that Jesus, Jesus is, is the kindest possible man to her. Anybody else would have found a way to get rid of her. Sort of like when you call the service department at most businesses. Hello, may I help you? Yes, I have a problem. Let me put you on hold. Or, or even better, I have a problem. It'll be fixed. Answer in the mail, click. I'm thinking about it a dozen other examples, but all of them would portray my lack of patience with people. <laughs> but here's the thing. The kindness of Jesus came when he saw her as she really was, and he dealt with her so that she would really be blessed, not at the superficial level she was expecting, but at the deeper level of the grace of God. And so put on kindness. Be ye kind one to another. Let the grace of God just flow through your life, and let it challenge others to come to the table of the Lord, to know they're part of the household, and the master makes sure they're fed. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, I'm so thankful that you don't let us tell you what to do. I'm so thankful that you show us your will and give us the power of the Holy Spirit that we might do as you command and honor and glorify you. And so, Father, for... For brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, I pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to give the courage to be kind the way Jesus was kind, gracious as he was gracious. But, Father, for that person who does not know Jesus yet, open their eyes that they might see him in all his grace and glory and come and kneel at his feet and be fed at the feet of Jesus. Father, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.